A Noble Experiment by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 4 Bill Brady in Agents of the Federal Government. It was well before the designated hour of 10 o'clock when they arrived within the Chicago city limits. Because of his concerns about Salvatore and Sidney Bishop, Brady did not want any delay. Quickly, he drove the Ford into a rundown section of the city, densely packed with 19th century tenements. It was within these tenements he made his new home. The apartment was on the third floor of a street corner building. Once a luxurious townhouse, the Yellowstone was now dingy with soot from decades of exhaust. Brady's apartment was two rooms down from the street corner and consisted of a bedroom, kitchen, and living room. Like the outer facade, the inner living area was not in the best condition. The windows were cracked, pipes leaked, and the paint was chipped and cracking. Compounding all this was the mess. Old racing forms, beer cans, wrinkled clothes, shoes, yellow newspapers, all liberally strewn around the apartment. They had been inside about 20 minutes when Lorna opened the door from the kitchen. Brady was looking out the window with his field glasses. What a pit this place is, she said, but Brady was affixed to his glasses. How can you live like this, Brady? I don't see anything yet, said Brady as he looked over at her. I said, this place is the pits, Brady. Well, who cares? I'm never here. Once or twice uh, every couple weeks. Besides, I'll get back to the way I used to live. Oh, and how is that? I had a sure apartment on the north side. Six rooms, he said. Sure you did. I did, and I had a new Corvette. I had it painted metallic red with side pipes and... Oh, don't tell me you lost everything gambling. No, I won't tell you. Hey, I'll gain it back. I'll be ahead of the game. I'm not worried. You know what my father would say? He'd say, you're a stoophead. Well, never mind him, said Brady, looking at his watch. It was almost 10 o'clock. He picked up the binoculars again. Besides, you won't have to see him again. I'll bring you to your aunt's house just as soon as they pick up what's ever in the trunk. They're not out there? She asked as she went over to the window. No, not yet. Don't tell me good old Sal didn't tell you the truth, she said, trying to imitate Sal's husky voice. Ah, here we go. The guy on the bike, here he comes, said Brady as an older man pedaling a woman's bicycle slowed next to the Ford. Good, good. Get this over with, buddy. Get this over with. Lorna stuck her hand through one of the missing glass panes. Ha, here we have it, air conditioning. You have to pay extra for this, Brady, or did it come with the deal? Hey, you know, you're precocious, you know that? Just get your hand back inside, said Brady as he pulled her hand back into the apartment. What if Sal is out there watching? It's not only Sal watching the man on the binoculars. Two men observed the pickup very carefully. They were stationed directly across the street near a top floor window. In all, besides the men at the window, there were six men. He wondered if they were from the federal government. One of the men at his window post turned toward his boss. Hey, Don, he's coming up here now. The remaining four men came up close to the window. All were dressed in older suits except for Don Bayless, the agent in charge, who took the binoculars from the other man. Right, he said as he looked. Now, Len. You say this guy is in Bishop's organization? No, Don, one of our informants is in Bishop's organization and told us this guy's name is Freddie Green. He's just making money getting the stuff. And dollar-wise, how much would you say is in there? At least a million, Don. It's raw heroin in that trunk. Oh, jeez, said Bayless, looking over the detective. He turned to the street again and peered through the binoculars. 
and you ran a make on that car. It's a reporter from the Enterprise, said the detective, taking out his tiny notepad. William Brady, William Francis Brady, 29. He probably doesn't even know the stuff is in there. Does he have a record? None, none. The guy's just an investigative reporter. My informant is tracing any link between Brady and Bishop. Don't, God, God, I don't want any arrests here. I want a documented view of this operation, he said as the telephone rang. Another one of the detectives picked up the receiver. Hello? Yes, Jerry. Yeah. No, I'll tell them, he said as he hung up the phone. Len, that guy Brady owes Bishop over 30000 Whoa, ho, 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 said Bayless, still at the window. I would say, gentlemen, that Mr. Brady is cutting down on his expenses, he said, putting down the binoculars. Ed, you and Harry keep a tail on Brady. They'll probably use him again. 052 to base. Called a voice over the shortwave next to the window. This is Bayless, said the agent, switching to a microphone. Go ahead. Salvatore Bishop and Danny Murphy coming up the back alleyway in the subject's apartment. His name is Bill Brady, Martin. Carrying a brown leather bag on. Received. Ed, keep us advised from that car. Right, Don. Says the two men left the upper tenement. Well, looks like Brady is about to reduce his debt once again. Inside the apartment, Brady leaned back in the chair as the man on the bicycle drifted out of sight. He looked over at Lawner and smiled. Wow, glad that's over. Now you can make that call to Frankfurt for me, Lorna, and I can bring you to your aunt's house. Brady, I have no aunt here, she said, raising her brows and half smiling. You what? demanded Brady, rising from the chair. He was about to go into a tirade when Sal began yelling and pounding at the door. Brady jerked his head to the right. As Sal raised his voice, he quickly forgot what Lorna had just told him. Brady, open up at Sal! Brady pointed Lorna into the bedroom. She ran inside, and he rushed to the front door. Pulling back the chain, he quickly opened the door. Sal walked inside, carrying the brown leather bag which he set on the floor. He looked around the apartment and laughed. Oh, jeez, this place is a dump. Yeah, you know, it's a real pit, said Brady, nodding his head in agreement. Yeah, well, said Sal, Brady. That went real smooth out there. Now we're gonna give you your big chance to bring the debt down to 20,000. Tw- to 20,000? Yeah, here's the deal. You take this here bag, you drive out to O'Hare just before noon today. You drive up to the TWA terminal. You know where that is? Yeah, I know where it is, he said as he kept nodding his head. Hey, hey, hey stop that nodding. Jeez, you stand out there in front of them sliding doors at TWA you set the bag down at 12. You got that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, he said, trying not to nod. Good. You walk up inside and up to the bar. You order a beer. You drink it. And then you get the hell out of there. That's all? Yeah. Yeah, that's all. He said as he took a billfold out from his coat pocket. See, Sidney's a reasonable man. He has 50 to cover your expenses and your debt will still be down to 20. And all I have to do is drop off the bag at noontime and I'm down to 20. No, I'm telling you, you get it down to 20 after the bag is picked up at O'Hare. I'll get back to you tonight, he said, still holding the $50 bill in his hand. Yeah, take the damn money, he said as he stuffed it in Brady's coat pocket. Brady started to nod again and Sal winced. 
I don't mind yes-men, he said as he walked out the door. But I can't stand nodders. I they get nodders get on my nerves. Brady could still hear their shoes against the back stairs as Lana stormed out of the bedroom. Don't do it, Brady. Don't do it. Hey, I don't want to talk about it, kid. You better. How long do you think you can go on doing these things without getting caught? The authorities aren't stupid. They follow men like this. You're a sitting duck just ready to be picked off. Oh, don't tell me what to do and don't start crying, kid. Look, you're on thin ice. Your life, she said as she sat on the sofa amidst the scattered pieces of old mail and newspapers. Do you care about your own life? Brady upset at her lies and his own pressures didn't answer her. He left the room and didn't return for several minutes. She began to sort the mail and restack it. When he came back in the room, she looked up at him. Don't you even read your mail? No, but I see that you do. I was just straightening it, she explained. Quit bugging me, kid. Look, look, look. If you want to open the mail, go ahead. Open the mail. You have all the answers. Go ahead, he said as he retreated into the kitchen. Lana fidgeted with her fingers for a few seconds. Then she thumbed through the stack of letters, ripping open the overdue magazine subscriptions, past payment bills, and a book of the month subscription. You haven't paid your gas bill in three months, Brady. Well, I see they haven't shut it off, have they? He remarked from the kitchen as he waited for the water to boil. He studied the blue glass flame intensely, trying to settle things in his mind. Although he was upset with Lorna for lying to him, he had to find a suitable place for her. He couldn't bring her back with her parents. Maybe some kind of state agency could take over. And he thought about the leather bag, envisioning the police swarming all over him at the airport. What was most disturbing, however, was the murder of the man from Boise cash in the dead man's pocket had to have come from Von Grunkel's Collin Corporation. It could be the link that Brady had been looking for for all these years. It definitely called Jackson when he returned from the airport and took the first flight out to Boise. Lorna, I want you to call that number, he said unaware that she was standing right in the doorway. A little louder, Brady, I can't hear you. Oh, he said, taking the water and pouring it into his cup. Well, do you have relatives in San Francisco, Brady? No, my parents were born and died right here in Chicago. I have cousins in Florida, some in Iowa. They could be dead for all I know. Why? Strange, she said as she handed him the paper. Look at this. You're like an adult. You, you, you talk like an adult. You're a kid, but you talk like an adult. Your sense of humor is like an adult. Johnson, Blair, and Yarrows, 415 South Pasadena Boulevard, San Francisco, California. William Francis Brady, 345 Bentley Street, Apartment 3B, Chicago, Illinois, June 27, 1963. Dear Mr. Brady, through exhaustive investigation of many years on behalf of the late Cornelius J. Bengal, and we've attempted to establish the rightful ownership of a hermetically sealed glass capsule. What the heck is this? The capsule was transferred to the deceased father, Jonas K. Bengal, at the beginning of the century, and remained at the Bengal home until November 1st, 1958, since that time has remained in his office. We are legally bound not to open the capsule until the legal owner is found. We can only tell you that you are the true owner of the capsule, and it may have links to you or your relatives. If you feel you have any claim to the capsule, and its contents unknown, please contact this office no later than July 30th, 1963. We would be most happy to assist in filling out any claims as to the legal ownership on your behalf. Sincerely, Alfred E. Johnson, Esquire. Well, Fandango, this is it, money. 
Then you're not going to the airport? No, I'm going to the airport. Why risk it? Here's a possibility you're really getting some legitimate money. Don't risk the next 30 years of your life, Brady. Just call Sal. Oh, just call Sal, she says. He mimicked her as he set the letter on the kitchen table. I'm going to Boise, kid, and then I'm going to San Francisco to cash in this time capsule thing, he said as he poured sugar into his coffee. Don't do it, she pleaded as he drank his coffee almost in one gulp. I'm back on Easy Street there, Lorna Dune. I can feel it, I can feel it, he said as he pulled $5 from his wallet. Here, go down to Rico's Variety. Three blocks north on your left. You can't miss it. Get some milk bread and some cold cuts. We'll have it when I get back, he said as he went into the other room and picked up his suit coat. And call that number I told you. You're making a mistake, she said one final time. He put on his suit coat and picked up the bag. I'll see you in an hour, he said, ignoring her pleadings, and he walked out the door. Join us next week as a noble experiment by Robert P. Fitton continues. This has been a production of Fitton Theatre of the Words.